What an honor to be here this evening with you. I see so many people I know, and that's almost a little distracting to me because I haven't talked to all of you yet. But it is really an honor for me to be here. Back, I don't know, a few months ago, Randy Roper called me and asked if I would speak tonight, and I was honored to, and then I found out that Randy didn't even stay in town for it. So I don't know if that means he really trusts me or he was afraid what people would say, and he's scared to come back into town. I don't know. But I am really honored to be here this evening. I love this congregation. I love all the congregations represented and know people in all of them, I think, probably that are here this evening. But so much of our life was spent in this congregation. A couple of years we were here, and then we went to Brazil for seven years with this congregation as our sponsor, and then back for seven more years working here at the Edmund Church and getting to know so many people here, but in all the area congregations. And what an honor it is to be here this evening for me and a chance to share a little bit tonight. I think if there is anything that this world needs right now, it is a lesson of hope. And when we talked about what tonight ought to be about, we talked about we need hope. And tonight I want you to know there is hope. This afternoon, as I were, this morning, as I was getting my things ready to come, my phone went off. You know how those... those notifications come to your phone. If I knew how to turn them off, I would. And now my daughters are home for the Christmas holidays. I guess I ought to get them to tell me how to do that. But this morning as I was getting ready, this news item popped up and it said, the United States sure has had a lot to worry about in 2017. And isn't that the truth when you start thinking about what we've worried about over this past year? From my part of the world, it's been hurricanes. From here, it's been tornadoes. In Florida, it was hurricanes. We've all had to deal with, with uh, politics. There have been, there have been uh, fires out in California and other parts of the country. There have been shooters that have gone in to, to just shoot people for no apparent reason in churches and other places. And then again, we have all still dealt with politics all along the way. There is a lot to worry about. There is a lot that can get you down if you turn on the news. You can get down just by watching the news sometimes because there is so much negativity in the world we live in. But Christians of all people should know that there is hope. We should be the people who preach hope and teach hope and share hope with the people in our offices and in our families and in our neighborhoods and everywhere we go. We should be the people who see a brighter day and a better tomorrow because we all need hope. I think about, excuse me, a man in our congregation who in the middle of the flood none of us had heard from him. I shared some of this story with 150 folks that came from the Edmond congregation in Oklahoma Christian and UCO to help us not long ago. But we received a text message, and the staff did. The staff has a message that we're all on. And someone sent a message that said, Have you heard from Dayton? And I immediately called him. He's a man in his mid-70s, and I hadn't heard, and he didn't pick up the phone. I said, No, he wasn't home or didn't answer. Someone else did the same, said, I called Dayton just a few minutes ago, and he didn't answer. And then the message came back, Well, I heard from his sister today, and his sister is scared to death because she hasn't heard from him in 48 hours and he had promised to talk to her every day. She lived in Louisiana. So one of our youth ministers immediately wrote on that text message, I'll get a boat. 
Now, that is a strange thing to say in the middle of Houston, Texas, isn't it? He said, I'll get a boat. And that night, as he went that evening, the sun was setting, and all the boats were coming in for the evening. Another weird situation. But he found a man who had a boat who was from San Antonio that had just come over on his own with his bass boat and said, I'll help folks. And he said, would you take me back in because we have a church member that's elderly and we haven't heard from him. He said, I'll take you. And so they go in on that boat and they go down the roads that usually we drive on and turn into his neighborhood and go around the corner and about eight houses down there on the left is Dayton's two-story house, but the water is up over six feet high at his house. Well, the little bit of the door that they could knock on, they start knocking on as they pull their boat right up to the front door. And they knock and they knock and they knock for about five minutes and nothing. And then all at once, there Dayton is in the window saying, here I am. They said, they said, let us help you. And they open the window, somehow get him out and get him into the boat. He had a black trash sack full of clothes and a few pictures. And he got into the boat And about two or three days later, he moved into a retirement home with his one bag of all of his worldly possessions. You talk about someone who needed hope, but you know, if you were to ask him today, do you have hope? He'd say, absolutely. He said, I have hope in the future. That young youth minister came and saved my life. Yes, I have hope. Can you imagine what the church has done for me? The Lord has saved me. Of course I have hope. We are people who need to see God working all over. We need to be people who talk about the hope that we have in God. And since this is the last service of the year, it seems appropriate that we should think about the last book in the Bible, about Revelation. Now, some of us are afraid of Revelation, but Revelation is a book that gives us hope. Now, we're not going to exegete everything and get deep down into Revelation tonight because you didn't come for that. If I did that, you would be thinking, I could have been watching the thunder right now, so we're not going to do that. But I do want you to have hope tonight, and I want you to know that Revelation gives hope to the persecuted and to the feeble and to the worn out. And some of you tonight may be persecuted. Oh, you're not persecuted like people in Syria or Iran or Iraq or wherever it may be. But you know what it's like to feel a little bit of persecution. Maybe the way you're treated at work because of your ethics, the ethics that you get right from the Bible. People make fun of you or maybe you're even passed over for promotion because you are willing to stand for what is right. Maybe you're persecuted by a husband who every Sunday morning when you get up for church, he says, oh, you're going off to that religious thing again? Or as a dad used to say to one of the women in our congregation in Houston, are you going off to sacrifice cats again? Maybe you feel that from a mate or a child or from a parent. And maybe you do have some kind of persecution in your life. And some of you, maybe you're just feeble. You have lived a lot of years. The years have caught up and you're just, you're tired. You're feeble. And Revelation is a book that gives hope. I uh, hit a big milestone this year. I turned 50 years old. It hurts even to say it. Someone the other day said to me, do you have grandchildren? I said, what are you talking about? 
That just seems so funny. How could I do that? But I remember back in the 80s, the big thing was Atari in my day. For those of you who don't know, that's a video game. That was the first big one. And I used to sit there and play Space Invaders all night long until I pretty much mastered it. And I had that joystick and I would go back and forth and I could kill all those aliens that were coming down and could score way up in the hundreds of thousands of points. Oh, I loved it. And if things weren't going very well, do you know what I did? I just hit reset and I started over. And then I would always have a good score because I didn't count the times it didn't go well. Well, it hit me not long ago. Life is not a video game. I can't just hit reset and start over. No, I understand that in Christ, our sins can be forgiven and we can start over spiritually. But physically, I eat half of what I used to eat and I gain twice the weight. You know how that goes. The hairs are not coming back unless I have hairs glued on there. It's just the way it is. Maybe tonight you feel feeble because the years are catching up and time is passing by and there is no reset button. Maybe it is that you're just flat worn out. You work so hard, you put in extra hours and there are no raises. You get no promotions and you are putting everything you have into it and nothing seems to be coming your way. Life sometimes is so hard. And tonight, if you are one of those people that feels tired, if you're someone who's feeble or worn out or persecuted wherever you are, I want you to know that revelation gives hope. And as every preacher has said at some point in some sermon along the way, the theme of revelation is God wins. Do not give up. God's side is winning, and God's side has won. It would be ridiculous to go over to the devil's side because it is God who wins. In Revelation 21, in verses 1 through 3, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw, that, I saw the holy city in the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Is that not an exciting scripture? Do you read that and say, that's where I want to be? That's who it is, what it is to be with God. You know, there's all kinds of conversation that goes on these days and biblical discussion about heaven. People talk a lot about heaven. Where is heaven? Is heaven someplace in our universe far away? Is it beyond the universe? Or is it that heaven comes to earth? And I love those discussions. And if you ever want to drive eight hours with me to Houston, we can talk the whole way about the subject, and we still won't have a definitive answer when we get there, but it'll be a lot of fun. But let me tell you this about heaven. I heard Jim Baird say years ago when talking about this issue, he said, heaven is where God is and I want to be where God is. 
And so this whole idea is that we can be with God, that we as his bride, that we can be with God forever. But some of us, we're so tired, we're so feeble, we feel so persecuted, and maybe we even ask, how long? How long will I put up with this? How long will my body hurt? How long will my heart ache? How long will this be? And so we ask those questions in prayer over and over, just the way the psalmist would, just the way sometimes Job would. And what God basically says is, I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not going to tell you that. For whatever reason, it's a good thing we don't know, and I don't understand why, but God doesn't tell us. He says, I'm not telling you. But this is what he does tell us through the book of Revelation as well as several other places. It'll be worth it. It will all be worth it. He says, don't give up because there is hope. Don't give up because there are good days coming. Don't give up that God dwells with his people. There is hope. God dwells with us, and what an exciting thing that is to think that we can live with God forever in a place where not only are there no tears, but in a place where there is no terrorism, in a place where there is no divorce, there is, there is no hurting of children, there is no downsizing, there is no pain of any type, that we will be with God forever. Can you imagine a place like that? Early on in the hurricane, folks in our congregation in Houston did an incredible job of organizing us and getting us out and helping in all these different ways. It was, it was amazing. It should be written in a book how they put it all together. But one of the things that they did is we had different work crews in one of our classes, the honeymooners, you can figure out what age group that is, they went to a house one day to, to help clean it out. The official phrase is you muck it out. And so they went to clean out this house. And my wife, who was not a honeymooner, decided to, go, decided to go along with them. This was not the worst of the houses. This one only had about two feet of water in it, but that is enough to destroy your house. And so what they went over to do was to take down the, the sheetrock four feet up on, in this particular case and then start throwing everything out of the house. And I was through with the meeting, so I called my wife, Barbara, and I said, you need me to come over and help? And she said, please do. She said, this job is so big. It wasn't that it was a huge house. It was just that there was a lot to do, as there was with every one of those houses. And so I went over to the academy near our building. She said, you need to buy boots. So I went to buy boots, and as you would guess, all the cheap boots were gone, and the only ones that were left were the really expensive boots. Well, I pulled them off the shelf. I go up to the front. And I said to the woman who was checking me out, I said, you have scissors that you could cut off those tags. Unfortunately, I need to put them on right now. She said, I know you do, sir, and I'm sorry. I'm taking one third off for you. So the really expensive boots went to just being expensive boots. <laughs> and so I put them on, went over to the house. Everything seemed normal as I drove down the road until I turned into this neighborhood and it was like a war zone 
with piles of home goods and belongings and sheetrock that were 10 to 12 feet high on every house, on every block in that subdivision. And finally, I get to John's house. John was a friend of a friend of a member. He didn't know who we were. We didn't know who he was. We were just there to help. We get in the house, and John was a man who I'm guessing is like a foreman in some type of job. He could do about anything, anything mechanical or, or carpentry work goes, but he's a tough outdoorsman. The creek that was behind his house came on into the house as well as the water from inside the street came into the house the other way. Every once in a while, John would just break down crying. He'd find a dog toy, and he would remember his dog that had died, and he would cry and cry. And other times, he'd find a picture. You can imagine what it's like. And at one particular point in his living room, he just broke down. And I put my arm around John, and I said, Oh, John. I said, Can you imagine what this house is going to be like soon? You're going to have sheetrock up in it, and you're going to be talking about paint colors and, and if you want to texture the walls. You're going to be at the store deciding if you want to put in tile or carpet or wood. And you're, it's going to look beautiful. Can you imagine what it's going to look like? And John, in between his sobs, said, I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't even imagine it. Maybe you're there tonight. When we talk about what it's like on the other side, you are in the middle of the mess right now. You're in the flood, you're in the hurricane or the tornado, and right now you feel like I can't even see it. And all we can say to you is what we said to John, hang on, don't give up. Hold on to your faith, hold on to your brothers and sisters at church who are leading you toward God. Do not give in. It is all worth it. In Revelation 21, 4 through 7, John says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. He says, don't give up. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Through his Father, he is our Alpha and Omega, which means he'll start it and he'll end it. And I don't need to worry about whoever is the leader or the premier or prime minister or king of North Korea. I know who will end it. It is Jesus Christ. I know that God is in control, that God is the one that our faith is in that we trust, and that we will be with him forever. That's exciting to think about. To be with God forever. You know what it's like when something is so good you just don't want it to end? I wonder if it'll be like with God in heaven. We'll say, this is so good, I just don't want it to end. And God will say, it won't. This is so good, I just love it. I just wish we could stay here a little longer. He said, you're going to. 
Well, how much longer? Everlasting, forever. That we will be with God forever. But those who are against God, they're going to be sent away. They're going to go. Those who have lived against God, who have done that persecuting, they'll go away. All those who don't come to Christ, they will be sent away. And we will be with God alone. It'll be just the Lord and us. And you know why that's good news? Because we never have to fear again. Because there will be no men or women or others there that could ever hurt us ever, ever again. We will be with God forever. And in Revelation 21 and 10 through 11, John says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like that, like that of a jasper and clear as a crystal. There is something better that is coming. There is something that is so good. We're not quite there yet. This afternoon, I flew in to the airport to Will Rogers, and I got on the shuttle for the, the uh, rental car and going off to my rental car. But as I got on the little shuttle bus, a really big shuttle bus that was there, right behind me came a family. I think they must have been from Pennsylvania because they were all wearing Eagles jerseys. You don't do that unless you're really from Philadelphia, right? And so they all got on. But the husband was on, the two kids elementary age were on, and the wife got on. But as she got to the door, she started saying, we're here, we're here, we're here. And the kids literally started dancing in the bus. We're here, we're here, we're here. They were so excited. You didn't know Oklahoma was so exciting, did you? <laughs> they were so excited. And the dad said, now you need to understand, we're not quite there. We still have two more hours, and then we will be to our destination. He was so official the way he put it. But you know, that's almost where we are. I'm not a prophet. I'm not telling you when the world's going to end. But what I will tell you, we're closer right now than we were when we started the service. We can say, we're here, we're here. And the Lord says, you're almost here. Keep going, keep going. You're so close that we can taste it. Keep going. Don't give up. Not too long ago, my car was having some issues, and, and I found this guy Barbara had told me about. A mechanic who, if you could just take him the part and he would put it on for you, which sounded like a good deal, and it was a good deal. She said he has a little puppy behind, the, behind his desk. She said, she said he'll want to talk to you about the puppy. Well, I walked into his, his auto mechanic place, his garage, and sure enough, there was a little cute little puppy behind the desk. And So I talked to him about the dog, and he said, well, you like dogs so much, let me put on this movie for you while you wait. Well, I do like dogs, okay, but I really was talking to him about the dog because I was trying to get a better price. That's really what it was about. It was only supposed to take 30 minutes to put on this part. But he made it last longer so I could watch the whole hour and a half movie. It was a movie, maybe you've heard of it. It was so popular it went straight to Netflix. It was called Hachi. And maybe you've seen it. Tonight, I'm going to tell you the plot tonight, okay? So I'm going to give it to you already. 
But go home and see it this evening. I mean, don't even check on the thunderscore. Go home and watch it immediately if you are really needing a good cry. Because that's what you'll get from it. So I sit down in the chair, and he turns on the movie. He has a big screen TV there. And it's based roughly on a true story. It's about a dog in Japan. But, this one, but they place it in the United States. And Richard Gere, of all people, is, is the main star. And he goes to work every day. He takes a train to work and is a professor in some university in the Northeast. And every day when he gets home at 5 o'clock, Hachi, the dog, is waiting right there for him. Every single day he waits for him. It's so cute. A German shepherd runs and runs and waits for him, and they walk home together, and everything's so great and so wonderful. And then one day, Richard Gere is lecturing, and he has a massive heart attack and dies right there in front of the class. Well, the dog Hachi obviously doesn't know. And Hachi goes to the train station at 5 o'clock and waits, and his owner never gets off the train. And Hachi went back the next day, and the next day, and the next, and years later, still going back. And the true story of the dog in Japan, the true story is that the same thing happened to a Japanese man, and the dog went back every day for nine years, waiting for his owner. They have built a statue at the train station in Japan of this dog. You see, this owner couldn't control what would happen to him because he was human. He couldn't say if he was coming back or not coming back. And that dog waited and waited and waited in vain. But while our Jesus was fully human, he is also the Son of God. And he is coming back. And we don't wait in vain. We will see Jesus. I think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. That's become a powerful passage of Scripture in my life. The congregation where I preach, we usually have about five funerals a year. Since that hurricane back in October, we have had nine. I don't know what that means. I don't know if people, the stress got them. I don't know. But I can tell you we've had a lot of people pass away in our congregation. And I think about this scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter, Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 17. The Apostle Paul describes to this little church what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever but something I don't guess I'd ever seen in that scripture was in that first slide there 
Do you see what it says about Jesus returning? And I've always, all my life, imagined what it would be like when Jesus returned in the clouds and you could see him. I remember, remember when I was a kid, I was afraid of Jesus coming back and didn't really want him to come back because I was really enjoying being a kid and it all sounded kind of scary to me. But I can remember what it was like and I would think on a day that didn't have any clouds, well, I can do what I want to today because Jesus can't come back. There are no clouds. I never thought, well, if he could come back, he could also make clouds if he wanted to. It didn't cross my mind. But in that passage of Scripture, do you see what it says? That when he returns, the dead in Christ will be with Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Does that mean that my dad, who died nearly 38 years ago, will be in that cloud with Jesus when we look up? Does that mean that my mother who died five years ago is going to be in that cloud, maybe next to my father, but in that cloud next to Jesus? Does that mean that my sister who died on Thanksgiving Day this year is going to be in that cloud with Jesus? Does that mean that Don Vinzant will be in that cloud with Jesus? If it's that way, I guarantee he will have a celestial cup of coffee with him as he comes. <laughs> if they have coffee there. Does that mean that on that day we will see the dead in Christ? And it will be wonderful to see people like Peter and John and Mary and all those others, but to see those we love who did not give up. You see, we are people of hope. We are people of hope that will be realized that we will see our Savior and everything that is bad will be wiped away. Everything that is evil will be gone because we will be with Jesus forever. So my question for us tonight is, am I hopeful? Am I hopeful? Or am I someone, eh? You see, when we are in Christ... It means that we don't just think maybe Jesus is coming back. It's not that kind of hope. We know Jesus is coming back. I realize every Sunday morning when I preach, before I preach as I'm driving into the church building, I pray, Lord, I know that there are going to be some women in particular, even a few men, but women in particular who are there, who it was difficult to get there today because their husbands didn't want them to be there. I know we have some teenagers who are going to be there and their parents didn't want them to be there on that day. I also know that there will be some people, I don't know who they are, that's the scary part, I wish I did. I know there are some folks who are there that that will be the last Sunday they'll be there. That they're thinking, I'm out, I'm done with Christianity, this is it. You see, they are people who fill our pews. And those who are walking away from their spouses are those who are walking away from their responsibilities. And those who are walking away from Jesus, they are hopeless. Where am I tonight? Am I hopeful? Or am I hopeless? What Jesus has called us to be are people who are full of hope. And so tonight, maybe even tonight in a group that gets together on a Wednesday night at the end of the year that maybe someone here needs to be baptized tonight 
and say, Lord, I need to put my hope in you. Not in myself, not in the economy, not in the government, not in my own abilities, but in you. That's what I need, Lord. I need my sins forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to follow you. And you can do that tonight. But also I understand that many of you who are here tonight, you are Christians. You have been Christians for a long time. And I want to ask you to go home tonight or this weekend or whenever it is and do something that I ask the Memorial Congregation in Houston to do Sunday. I want you to sit down with your families, with your spouse, with your parents, or with your kids or friends if you're not married. And I want you to say to them, I am always going to be faithful to Jesus. We are always going to follow Jesus. We are never giving up on our faith. Your children and grandchildren need to hear that from you. You need to hear yourself say it. And your spouse needs to hear you say it. We are not giving up on Jesus. If we lose a parent or a child or a spouse, if I find myself riddled with disease, if I find myself in a country that is taken over by a foreign government, I will not give up on Jesus. My hope is all in Jesus. Come this evening as we stand and sing.